At the end of your life, what will be your legacy? What will you leave behind for future generations? For the world, join the world messenger, Isabella Lundberg, each week as she brings you a new distinguished guest from the business, sports, or entertainment world to share their success, their struggles, and their lessons. They will share their insights into current hot topics that affect everyone. Isabella facilitates an intimate, vulnerable environment to find the true value of humanity and real leadership. Are you ready for your legacy? The legacy that matters? This is Isabella Lundberg here at The World Messenger, and I have a very special guest here today with me. Um, he is joining us from West Point, New York. He is Dean of Strategy Innovation, United States Military Academy. He's philosopher, futurist, thought leader about future leadership, which I cannot wait to dive in, obviously about everything about future work, education, leadership. And the best part, he's sharing his own personal and professional views. These are not views of the military academy or army or DOD. Without further ado, I am bringing on Chris Meyer. How are you doing? Good, how are you, Isabella? Thank you for having me on Legacy Leaders. I'm really looking forward to talking to you. Absolutely, it's a pleasure. I know you have a very busy schedule and I know that we're living in very crazy times when a lot of education and everything that is happening is happening virtually, isn't it? It is, yeah. Yeah, I mean, although we are, a lot in person at West Point, but a lot of it's virtual. really so that did not change much on your end then. It, it changed um, after spring break in March, the, all the cadets went back to their homes and we finished out the semester virtually, but then most of, they all came back in July and August. And so now they're taking a mix of online and in person classes here at West Point. So, so how do you like that hybrid model? Is, is, the, is it working very well with you and the students? It is working well. I mean, I, I think we all prefer to be in person, um, but I, but I think um, you know we're making the best of it. Our faculty members have done a great job um, adapting and learning. We've learned so much since the spring. So, yeah, it's it's going as well as can be expected. But we're looking forward to a time when we can all be back in the classroom, and and just interacting like we we did before. That's fantastic. I'm glad that you guys are navigating as effectively as you can. But as you as we said, it, it's it's very important that human connection, human touch, right? That physical presence. And thank goodness we have the technologies that we can do uh, what we're doing. But even obviously before you dived into teaching, uh, years and years ago, I'm sure everybody were projecting uh, how it's going to look a future of education, future of work to look like. And that future got all of a sudden in front of us very abruptly, forcefully, didn't it? It did, no, every, everything was accelerated. Um, we, I, I don't think we ever imagined we'd be teaching online here at West Point. I mean, part of our, part of our distinctive model is small classes, in-person, um, in-person faculty, cadet interactions inside and outside of the classroom. So. Yeah, and then the remote work as well. You know, many of our meetings, and, and of course across the country and world, many meetings are virtual now, and um, organizations are learning how to uh, not just to to operate, but to bring on new people virtually, and uh, develop culture virtually. So yeah, it's it's changed a lot very quickly. 
Wow, I love what you just said about development of the culture and how important that is because I'm seeing a lot of companies from Fortune 500 to smaller ones really having a hard time and they're not catching up because um, I was just reviewing the Gallup research and some of the statistics and saying that over 50% workforce, for example, is being feeling fully isolated and on their kind of on their own. Uh, don't feel part integrated with an organization due to working from home uh, changed a lot. And then the cultural piece obviously is hugely missing. So do you mind just since you mentioned how, how are you um, preserving the culture or, or establishing new culture with the new environment that you're dealing with? So any, any nuggets that you can share with our audience and our listeners? Yeah, I think, it's, I think initially people were very excited to work from home and to skip the commute. Um, but I think as time has gone on, people miss um, yeah, the informal interactions and just sitting down at a table with people. And, and you know, many organizations um, use things like working out and food and um, social events to, uh, to generate this culture. Um, yeah, I think we're doing, so a lot of us are in the office especially the administrative staff are in the office most of the time. But, um, you know, we're, we're, things like keeping on your camera are important because it, you get to see the face-to-face -face and there's some interaction there. Um, kind of frequent touch points, not just for work, but how are you doing? How are things? And, and this, the small talk you would have had in the office, I think it's important to do when you're engaging virtually, especially for leaders and those they lead. To, um, to follow up with people, especially during these difficult times. Um, and then I think doing things that, um, that you did before, you know, to, trying to make them as, as normal as possible and not canceling things. Um, and so things like, um, just today we had an event called the West Point Authors Lunch where faculty present their, their, um, their research and normally it's in person and there, there's lunch served. Um, and of course we can't, we're not doing that now, but we still had the event and people still participated and asked questions. And so kind of trying to um, continue those sorts of things that bring people together. And we've even had um, you know, socials on Friday online. And so, so those are some of the things, but I think um, you know, as we think long-term, you know, thinking about, um, you know, we've brought some new people on board and just ensuring that they're, you know, frequent communication and orientations, doing that online. And we've done it in, some in person as well, which I think is important. Um, you know, a colleague here said, sustaining a culture that's been developed online is much easier than building one with, with new people. And so as we onboard people, we are trying to have some in-person events um, even if that person is teaching online or working on, you know, virtually. So, yeah. Excellent. That's some really good points there for a lot of uh, that can actually apply not only in their educational institutions, but also in their work, 
uh, workforce, with workforce in their own organizations. But do you mind for people, because we have listeners around, and people that watch this uh, the show around the world, and do you mind just sharing just a little bit about West Point uh, Academy? Because it's one of the mm. prestigious military academy, and, and what mm. is known for is just because now it gives opportunity to give our viewers and listeners a little flavor of American history and culture. Yeah, no, so um, the, the Academy was founded in 1802, um, and it, it, its, its mission is really to produce leaders of character who become army officers. Um, and so we, we do, people who, cadets who graduate earn a bachelor's degree, a bachelor's of science, but fundamentally we call ourselves a leader development institution. So even though um, much of the academic curriculum is similar to what a civilian college would have. We're all focused on developing leaders of character and leader development and future army officers. So what that means is that some of the coursework is different. Like one of the history courses they take is the history of the US Army, but really character education is infused throughout the academic program. But we also have three other robust programs, the military, the physical and the character. So our, our, our first years take boxing. Um, and they also take a military movement where they learn how to do, um, a lot of it's gymnastics and, and obstacle course types of things. They also obviously engage, before they report to the academic year, they typically take a six week cadet basic training. But this year it was um, shortened to three and a half weeks due to um, the pandemic. Um, but, but really we're all, um, we know what profession all of our graduates are entering. So we're all focused working together to develop them. And, and again, the, the character, the foundation of character we're trying to build is infused, whether it's in the philosophy ethics I teach or whether it's in specific character um, classes that we have that, that talk about um, respect for others, um, honor and, and honesty or whether it's in the field and they're, they're learning about how to apply military force ethically. Um, the character element is, is throughout the program. And we have about 4,400 cadets. And wow. so every year we um, graduate about a thousand second lieutenants, almost all into the army. Some, some do go, a handful go into the Navy and Air Force and they have a five-year active duty service obligation and then a three-year um, inactive reserve obligation and they're all on scholarship and they actually all um, receive a, you know, pay and, and lodging and, and meals as well. Um, so but then again, we, we participate in, you know, in intercollegiate athletics. And so many ways we're, we're part of, you know, the host of American colleges and universities. That is amazing. Uh, I mean, I, some things I even didn't know myself. So you're, you're operating and creating uh, forward-thinking, futuristic, but also not only what we need now, obviously timely relevant type of leadership, uh, curricula and training so that we have better, higher quality leaders in those roles. Uh, and after they go after obviously reserve and active duty, they go back into civilian life, they can contribute their leadership skill sets to uh, other organizations. So yeah. 
Do you yeah, mind? Do you I mind? Too. Go ahead. Oh, go ahead. I was just thinking, if you don't mind sharing a little bit about uh, how how you now projecting and seeing, because we're having horribly bad uh, and short, uh, uh, I mean, huge deficit and very bad uh, gap right now of the of the true leadership and and leadership traits even in in yeah, corporate yeah, yeah. America. So I'm I'm really intrigued to hear how are you doing or what are you creating as associate dean of strategy and initiatives to create these curricula around the leadership to project yeah. the future of, of leadership? So for, for the cadets, um, their academics especially is, is a very broad education. They, um, they have science, math, um, cyber, two cyber courses. The non-engineering majors take three engineering courses but, but the nice thing is the um, engineering majors take philosophy and the philosophers take engineering. So there, there's this very solid foundation of, of liberal arts and, and STEM courses that form a foundation of, um, you know, of the ability to, to think broadly about complex issues. And, and so, um, you know, we, we think we have a pretty good intellectual model to provide cadets the foundation to grapple with problems, ambiguous problems that we don't really know about now or, or that they'll face. Um, but we are, you know, one of the things we're doing, we're calling it Academics 2052, which is our 250th anniversary. We are thinking about what's gonna change in the world and what, what kind of challenges and opportunities will cadets as army officers need to face you know, and some of the things that we're thinking about are, um, you know, like the, the increased use of automation and artificial intelligence and the fact that many, and I think a lot of the civilian organizations are thinking about this too, but, um, you know, our, our um, leaders, army leaders need to be up to date on technology. They don't need to be experts, but they need to understand it. They need to understand um, when they can trust technology and when they can't and rely on it to help them make decisions. They need to be um, fluent with data. But because the automation is, is um, performing so many tasks that, that we used to perform as humans, they really do need to develop their uniquely human characteristics. And, and so they need to be able to engage with those they lead and exhibit empathy and communicate well and, you know, and really, um, I mean, as you mentioned before, that this idea of um, the loneliness and isolation people are facing, like how, how do leaders um, figure out how to help those they lead and, and, you know, help them come out of that and, and form teams and, and form teams where, you know, we're seeing a society where people are polarized on different, different viewpoints, political and social. How do you... Um, lead in that with different differing viewpoints and how do you talk to your your teammates about um you know things that are happening in the country so it, you know it's very um these are all human skills that machines can't do and so we're thinking that these are going to be vital in the future even more so than now 
I cannot agree more with you, uh, specifically when people talk about soft skills and and I'm like, why they're even calling them soft skills? I would call yeah. them essential skills because they're right. skills because and 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 because you know they're they're hard to obtain. It's a lifelong right. to make them happen. So they're not necessarily the most easiest one. And, and require a lot of commitment, but also desire to constantly do self-improvement and be the best you can. And I love how you contrast the technology and progression, digital footprint and, and what technology is doing, et cetera, and how important it is at least to be able to be nimble, to navigate that. On the other hand, uh, importance that human factor will never go away. No matter right. what technology we're leveraging using, human factor is gonna always be present. And I'm glad to see that you're having heavy emphasis on that as well. So with that in mind, as, as philosopher and futurist, yeah. do you mind sharing a little bit of where, where you think it's future of leadership going before we go into future of education and work? Yeah, I, I think, I mean, it, it's funny. There's been um, a handful of articles that talk about uh, the possibility of, of robots being, being led by robots or supervised by robots, but I, I don't see that at all. I see, um, I see leaders having to, um, relying a lot on technology to do things and re relying on technology to help them sort through all the information we have now. You know, there's so much information coming in through, um, through social media, for instance, or um, I mean, the computers allow you to access everything. So using, using that to help leaders make the, the best decisions possible and, and using technology as much as possible to do those sorts of things while taking the time and, and really understanding, you know, there's a lot of talk now about the idea that you have to be able to learn to, uh, to stay up to date. And so leaders, I think even more so than now, are going to have to be um, developers so that they upskill their people and give them opportunities, you know, to, to learn and to keep up to date with what they need to. And um, so I think that's really important, really to create organizations that, um, that learn and, 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 and exemplify it themselves as learners and, and not being willing to say, I don't know everything, but I'm willing to learn. And, and this is gonna be a mix of residential and um, online education as well. I think, um, especially in the army, there's going to be teaming of humans and, and machines. And I think leaders are going to have to understand, you know, how best to use the attributes of both. And, and when, when's it, when's it best to put in a, um, a machine to do something and when's it best to put a human. And, you know, there's something with ATMs, ATMs didn't do away with, the banks, but it, it allowed banks to use people to interact with customers and to find out what they need and to help them get the right loan and, and things like that. So, and so those are some of the things, um, but I think it's going to be a, an even faster pace. Learn, leaders are going to have to be first and foremost learners. I love that because we are as a human evolving on our own individual level, but also of course on the professional level. And, and one of the things that lifelong learning mentality, it's not just a cliche that I've been hearing for years, but it's must have, yeah. must do, and then walk the talk, right? And yeah. as we progress and 
get to different thresholds of our own capacity to deal with different issues or different levels or stressors or whatnot. I feel like also expanding upon in that capacity, not only through experience and maturity, but also awareness and understanding. But right now, well, I'm seeing also some leaders that are really missing the mark because their personal uh, threshold of emotional capacity to handle the magnitude of things they're dealing with is so low. And unfortunately, it doesn't matter how great and skilled they are in other topics in other areas of their, of their professional side, um, they're, they're actually bigger threat than actually assets. Um, yeah. and, and, and the cliches that we used to hear how important it is to develop, yes, emotional intelligence, absolutely, in addition to intelligence, but I also feel like social skills are huge right now. I feel like uh, yeah. we cannot have emotional intelligence without strong social skills and understanding also environment that is highly diverse and it's very different than it used to be even 10, 15, 20 years ago. What are your thoughts on that? No, it is, um, you know, the diversity. And, and, and again, I think um, you may have an organization of people that, that have radically different views on thing on life and, and just um, interacting with them and, and kind of rallying them around a purpose but no, I think, I think social skills, I mean, in some ways technology has allowed us to, to um, maybe not interact as much in person. And of course the pandemic has done that as well. But I think we even need to think about social skills and how we're interacting now. Like I, I think there's a much to learn. And I mean, at least with, um, I don't think as good, but at least with video, you can kind of sense you know, nonverbal communication but um, no, yeah. we, we noticed, like we, we discussed this with our cadets too. And it, you know, there's always the, um, you know, back in the good old days we had social skills and we, but, but I do think, I think, you know, the technology has um, for many limited the um, experience they have working with others and, and socializing with others. And so I think um, organizations and educational institutions need to be intentional about develop these social skills and talk about what's appropriate and what's not. And I think like you said, explain how important they are for leaders and everyone and not to take it for granted or to prioritize the technical skills like we often do. Exactly, because uh, because that's where I find that the biggest friction and challenges when I have um, consulting engagement or advisory uh, with the leadership and uh, decision makers. And when you look at from executive standpoint, it's like, wow, it's completely different uh, perspective. You know what is really happening and or, or what needs to be done. And some of these gaps um, are actually in some organizations uh, bigger and some smaller, but uh, they catch up with you. And I think that this particular yeah. current envir environment showed like whatever we're not doing very well, it's really showing up even more, right? So, yeah, yeah. So in terms of uh, future of education, beside obviously more uh, virtual learning and virtualization and leveraging, um, artificial intelligence and all these other technologies that are coming up. Uh, what do you see? Uh, how is things going to be shifting for you uh, as a as a, in your position, but also uh, in 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 adaptation that from technological standpoint, you see it's you guys going to be taking some actions. Yeah, um, like I said, um, 
with us, we, we, we're always going to prioritize in-person um, interact, small class interactions. But, but I think, um, you know, the fact that we've been able to pull this together, remote learning, you know, there'll, there'll never be a, a snow day again, you know. <laughs> online for for, the, for for bad or worse for bad, bad or worse and i think this applies across all levels of education i think or even if you're um if you're traveling and you're maybe at a conference or or even and you want to teach your class even if you're teaching in person you could say hey, this one class we're going to teach online because now we have a generation of students who have learned online from kindergarten to grad school and so I think that's going to open up. I think um, large lectures may not be in person anymore, or, or very few will be in, in person anymore. And I think it it does give um, gives a lot more flexibility. Like we've we've discovered now that not having to bring a guest lecturer to campus, it it saves that person time. It saves us cost, and then it, it also opens up the um, the world really to a cl the classroom, so you can bring in all sorts of experts, and um, at, at all times, and and so that's wonderful. I think you're going to see more connections between classes, um, but I suspect that um, I mean for West Point we gain so much by having our cadets live together, and you know the, there's a cadet chain of command so that every sophomore is in charge of a of a first year student. And so they learn those social skills and leadership that way. And they learn social skills with their peer class. I think we'll always do that, but I think we will incorporate um, some of this online capability into our, I, I think AI may allow us to, um, maybe with grading, maybe with tutoring. And I, I think that and online may allow us to focus our in-person engagements on more meaningful, less information, here's information and more, what did you learn? Let's hear you apply it to a particular problem and debate with your classmates and, and learn how to, to disagree agreeably in a classroom. That is very powerful. And I love what you said, because I'm also as a speaker seeing a lot of shifts and changes it's in speaking engagements that are now more virtually happening and smaller groups, because even if organization has 10,000 people, it's like, it's hard to really be in front of 10,000 people even virtually, yeah. unless it's pre-recorded. Uh, but you wanna do have as much more personalized little hubs of, of smaller groups where you uh, have a chance then to recognize uh, either through tests or assessments where people are, are because everybody comes from yeah. different upbringing and different point of life. Uh, and, and, and it's always good to know um, fundamentally yes, across the board, what we need to teach, but in the same time, what they really need to learn, right? Where, where right. the gaps are. So I'm sure that that also translates very easily um, the same concept of where we were talking about the future of work. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Because uh, I see now globe is like, I don't see the borders necessarily, right? I just see the world and accessibility um, highly, highly, easily reachable because of virtualization as well as talent yeah yeah it's funny i have a, a really good friend from high school that i talked to he's in commercial real estate and 
you know, they, they, they lease offices to people and, and talking to him about the, what is the future of the office. Uh-huh. What I'm reading a lot now is that, um, I mean, you know, some, some organizations have said we're going to work forever remotely, but I think, um, you know, what a lot of people are, are, are thinking about is maybe there are some individual workspaces that are not assigned that if you're tired of working from home, you can come in for a change of pace and just sit in a, a little room by yourself or and, and work, but also the office becomes a place for collaboration and maybe um, team building activities or you know or, or culture strengthening activities that um, that that people can do. But it, you know the the remote uh, way of working really opens up talent because now you're not just searching in your area or if you're in an area that's that's really expensive and maybe people don't want to come live there because it's so expensive. Now you have people that can live anywhere and maybe come to your area once a month, say. And so you, you're really opening up um, what, uh, what your talent pool is. And it, it does seem, um, I think we're having too many meetings now and I think we'll, we'll scale them. <laughs> Because yeah. it's easy, right? Um, but people like, do, do get a meeting for for that topic and that and that and that. <laughs> right. So yeah. So I th I think we'll scale them back. Um, but um, you know maybe there's asynchronous work being done, um, and and maybe there's um, there's fewer meetings, but more more just touch points with people. But but really, it becomes important for the leader to to set the kind of the, you know, the, the general direction and let people work individually on their own. And, and we'll see, I mean, maybe in five years, things will be almost like they were, but I do think just given how some of the big companies have moved that the office will be a fundamentally different place. Absolutely, I, I love you spot on and everything you shared, I mean, uh, and, and, and definitely a lot to think about, guys, that you're watching and listening, what Chris just shared, because anticipating these changes and positioning for these changes will tremendously uh, help not only for us to contribute the most best ways by constantly personally professionally developing our skill set, but also knowing now how they're going to be applied and can we do it, because not everybody's so comfortable speaking in front of people virtually or conducting trainings in the ways that are now the new norm, right? right. But I'm curious when you mention your high school friend uh, that is in real estate, and, and, and it's so true that a lot of uh, uh, offices and buildings, like just for example, in downtown Denver, they're still empty, they're still in lockdown. And when you look at how much of the real estate is just parked there and not utilized, uh, the big shift is happening, but I'm curious uh, from perspective, how did you get into military? What, where, where, how, what prompts you to get in education yeah. space and um, end up obviously where you at? I'm, I'm, I'm really intrigued about yeah. that. Yeah, so um, also I'm a native of Philadelphia and, and typically the Army-Navy game is played in Philadelphia every year, the football game. And so I, you know, I, I, I did want to join the military, but I, I did have that experience of seeing being the host city for the Army Navy game. So um, I applied to West Point and, and um, got in. And, um, and after I completed my four years there, I owed, as I told you, five years. And mm -hmm. I swear I would just do five years and then and I'd be, that would be it. I'd do something else. 
but um, I've been over 27 years now. So yeah, <laughs> you I, got hooked, Chris. You totally yeah, got hooked. <laughs> I did get hooked. You know, I um, I served in Vir Virginia, Kentucky, um, Virginia a few times, and then in uh, Japan and Iraq as well. And and you know, really, in those experiences, those are the typical army experiences. I, you know, just fell in love with the you know, the, the team really, the, you know, the soldiers, the non-commissioned officers, officers, civilians that make up the army and the purpose. But then I had the chance, um, our, our faculty at West Point is, we have civilians, then we have rotating military and long-term military. The rotating military get master's degrees, teach for three years, and then return to the operational army, what, what you would think of as the army. And I had the chance to come and teach as a rotating faculty member and you know just the the chance one to teach philosophy and kind of help develop critical thinking for cadets but also just to to be around and help develop the future leaders of the army and the country i mean that was just wonderful so when a long-term position came open you know i jumped at applying for it and i was fortunate enough to get it and so i've been here for a while and um Fantastic. stay as long as they let me that's fantastic. Obviously, you're doing a lot of things great to have that level of tenure, but also knowing how competitive that is for our listeners and viewers. I mean, um, it is just an amazing path for you that turned out to be um, something that you're very passionate about. And then also with a group of people that are eager to learn. So it's kind of a perfect match in a way, right? Yeah, yeah. I'm curious. I, I love strategy myself and I love innovation. So everything we're talking about is like, it's all my passions, just my different pathways of how I leverage those. And I'm just curious, do you play chess by chance as a strategist? I don't. No, I used to play chess, but now I don't. I, I probably should start again. And I'm curious, do you guys use any of virtualization like um, uh, simulations in terms of critical thinking and strategic stuff because I find that a lot of times when we get either through chess or strategic games or when we're leveraging multiple branches of the military or chain of command or too many people in like cooks in the kitchen in a way it's like what do you do what's the best choice and solution I find this to be very helpful because reality is like in our normal life right now with the crisis crisis prevent prevention or intervention just in normal regular business right let alone in a military I found that to be not only very um intriguing but also extremely um escalating and progressing the thought process so that you can really still apply your strategic and critical thinking, but expedite making it faster. Yeah, no, we we, um, we have a simulation capability and our military program is actually in the process of like boosting it significantly. So the cadets get in there and do that. And they um, they also, they take the history of the military arts. So they learn, um, you know, wars throughout the past, how people have developed strategy for those. And so I think throughout the curriculum, there's a lot. Um, there's a, we have a, a grand strategy minor. So cadets learn about grand strategy. That is so fascinating. Yeah, and international relations. So there, there's, there's plenty. Um, um, but then they also use, uh, is it AR or VR to do counseling with soldiers, you know, imaginary soldiers. So it really ranges, they, range, they go from that sort of simulation to there to you know looking at 
World War II, for instance, and the strategy that that um, that propelled that. And and I love what you said. I believe it's a VR, but uh, at least for for some of the things that I know, not related to your school, obviously. But I'm curious if you don't mind. Um, Right now, obviously, with the high PTSD for the ones that have been on active duty, obviously dealing with the cadets that are fresh and brand new, uh, did not get deployed yet, um, and uh, obviously probably not exhibiting as much of that. But I'm curious, because of such a huge gap in care around the mental health, uh, I, I'm just curious, regardless of S point, but in, in general, do you feel like, from your perspective, we have sufficient um, conversations around mental health and everything that is associated with that to, to truly address them in an effective way. We do. Um, so I, I will say our, our superintendent, who's our president, has said numerous times that if you ever have a cadet that um, is a kind of expressing, is threatening and, you know, expressing con, um, concerning attributes, um, that your day stops, like no matter what you have planned, whether it's um, briefing him, doing a conference, your day stops and you take care of that cadet. Like he's crystal clear about our priority. And then, and then our Dean also just talks about us. You know, we're, we're voted the most, um, Peterson votes us the most accessible faculty in the country. But she talks about, Ooh. you know, it's, it's the thing we're most proud of. But she, but, but she says it's not just to be accessible, to be approachable. And so she really emphasizes with us to- and That's what is all about a thought leadership. I know yeah. some leaders that have a position, they have a title, they're not accessible, they're not approachable, they're, they're just not people person uh, that, that just don't like even based on their actions, they don't care so much for others. It's like, how can you be in charge of billions of dollars and hundreds and thousands of people with that attitude? So kudos, that is yeah, and huge. She, yeah, she, she um, I mean, she mentioned that she walked by a cadet the other day and, and just things didn't seem right. And she's a very busy person, but you know, she stopped what she was doing and took the cadet to her office and, and talk, I don't know what happened, but she talked to the cadet. So but yeah, so she, all of our leaders here are very um, passionate about that. And you know, we've we've looked at our counseling services and and um, and you know, working on improving those. And the, the nice thing about West Point, we have about 800 houses on on campus on post, and so. I live about a mile and a half from where the cadets live. And it, you know, I'll see them run by all the time, morning, afternoon, evening. And so we, we really are a pretty tight community here, um, which I think helps them um, find someone to talk to, whether it's on their uh, a coach or someone that works with their team, a faculty member, or someone who teaches them. Um, yeah, so there, there's, we just try to be approachable and understand what resources are available to help them out. That is brilliant and that's beautiful because that's how it should be. And again, kudos for those accomplishments because um, right now looking from not only what's not working and where the gaps are in the leadership sides of things, um, we're seeing, as we mentioned, well, due to isolation and, and also a lot because my work and line of work, I used to run a nonprofit organization or rehabilitate some of the also post-deployment um, military veterans and seeing also now 
uh, our country um, going through major shifts and change on so many levels. Uh, need is the all-time uh, all high, but I don't know how much truly is the coverage and support there. So it's a great to see that um, uh, preserving uh, the optimal health, <laughs> not only mentally, intellectual, but physically and emotionally, right? Yeah. It's, it's, it's a way to go for the future of the leadership and the future leaders that will be in charge of those very important operations. So... It's, it's yeah, very really encouraging. Yeah. So do you mind what, what, sharing something that you do for fun? Uh, uh, huh. Any hobbies, any interests? Yeah, I, I'm, I'm really an outdoors person. So uh -huh. we're, um, we're always hiking or running or, or doing, we, we're fortunate that we're, um, you, you can kind of see in the background where I live, but uh, we're fortunate to have miles and miles of trails around West Point and, it, and especially in the, at the height of the pandemic when we really couldn't leave West Point, it was nice to have, um, you know, such a wonderful uh, system of trails and, out, and outdoors. And I, I like to travel, which isn't going so well right now. Um, <laughs> I don't I think for anybody. <laughs> yeah, so, um, so the, slowing down has been nice, but the fact that we haven't been able to travel um, either for work or for, for pleasure, you know, is, is always uh, something I'd like to see get a little better. Yeah, hopefully that will change soon. I, I, I definitely feel the same way. It's like, what, what happened last year versus this year? It's like, I can't believe it, nine day difference. But right. with all these great accomplishments and everything, what is still in bucket list for you, Chris? And what would you like to um, your legacy to be about, you know, because it seems like you already have so much accomplished and it's already there, but something always keep us pushing forward. And I'm curious what that is for you. Yeah, so I've over the past, I think probably the past year, I've really learned a lot about strategic foresight. And I've, you know, I think the future of learning is um, won't always be a resident in a, in a particular um, higher ed setting, but it might be, and you know, learning online. I took a Coursera course. I did go to, the, to a university to, for a week long program, but I, I did a bunch of different things in red. And, um, and so I'm really um, fascinated with the area of strategic foresight, you know, and, and kind of the futurist endeavor. And so kind of a goal I have in the next 10, 20 years is to, to help others think more systematically about the future and use what they learn about possible futures to help them better prepare and plan for today. I think um, many are short-sighted and go for short-term gains and, and others I think just don't have the, um, the framework to think that way about the future. But, but um, strategic foresight does offer um, a systematic way of thinking about it, you know, developing, in some cases, developing scenarios about possible futures, and then thinking about what are we doing today and what can we do tomorrow that can make us better prepared for these futures. And, and then also, and this is where philosophy comes in, what is our preferred future? Like, what do we want um, and what are we looking towards? 
Yeah, and co-create together. That is yes. so powerful. Yeah, yeah. Specifically when we look at it from a global point, right? It's like we're so now more than ever interconnected and we cannot just say this is what happens in the US or North America, but how is this going to really impact other countries and what's going to happen in the rest of the world? Right. So I do. think also that global view and globalization is essential with that. Yeah, and I, I like what you said. It's got to be a collective effort whether it's your organization, it can't just be one person, a, a lonely futurist sitting, coming up at the plan and handing it to people. It's gotta be people working together, thinking through this and then, yeah, it's got, it's, yeah, everything's connected now as we see with the pandemic and, and other things as well. Wow, it's been absolutely amazing. Uh, power hour almost with you, Chris, and a lot of great information here. So do you mind just sharing and closing uh, something that you would like to leave audience and listeners with, something tangible, applicable, based on, again, your futuristic approach and innovation and, and everything that you've seen happening either for future leadership or education or work or all three. Yeah, no, I, I think, um, and I think you had it right um, about not calling them soft skills, whether it's essential skills or uniquely human skills, but um, I think don't, I'd say just don't neglect those. Um, especially for leaders and, um, and be intentional about, even if you're older and well along in your career, be intentional about developing yourself in those areas. And then also um, keep learning and continue to learn, be a role model for others, but also for your own sake, keep learning. And then just be, learn how to think systematically about the future and, and, just look long-term and think about the impact you're having now and how you can head to that preferred future. That is brilliant. That is brilliant. Um, I have to say again, thank you so much for giving us chance to talk to you. Um, and you, absolutely. And uh, how people can get hold of you. And I'm just curious because what you just mentioned requires something to be either blueprint and something in writing in terms of uh, I publish a book or maybe a journal or something uh, around that could be also public available outside of this point. Um, not yet. I, I'm working on it or will be working on it, but yeah, not, not, not quite. I do post a lot on um, LinkedIn and Twitter. Um, okay. So I think you can find a lot of my ideas there. Okay. I've, I've done a, a couple things. Um, I've written something on um, strategic leadership. And, um, and if people write me on LinkedIn, I can send them those, that article and others as well. Okay, fantastic. Then we'll share that information. And then I'm looking forward to see how things are progressing. Then we'll circle back soon. Okay. Thank you, Isabel. Have a great week.